0: Okay, y'all, so we continue our series on Bible basics this morning. Uh, Last week, we looked at the Bible. So what's the Bible? This week, it's just a small topic. It's a very uh, unchallenging topic on God. Who is God? Uh, So why should you care? I mean, why should you care about who is God? Well, Mary Jane doesn't believe in God. She's what worldview experts would call an atheist. Belief in a personal God or even some kind of impersonal force for her has never made sense to her. What has made sense to her, though, is what she can see and what she can control and what she can achieve. Uh, Naturalistic causes and effects have always made sense to her. Progress, enlightenment, achievement, advancement have always made sense to her. So evolving people and evolving relationships like marriage and the family, those things evolving make sense to her. Identity, gender, sexuality evolving makes sense to her. Uh, morality, right and wrong, just and evil makes sense to her. Right? Evolving ideologies and education and information and technology and cultures and races and institutions, everything evolving, progressing, advancing, achieving makes sense to her. But belief in a personal God does not make sense to her. It seems so exclusive unevolving, it seems so oppressive, unprogressing, it seems so uneducated, unenlightened. So Mary Jane does not believe in God. I don't believe in God. There is no God. Martha Kate, these ladies are from Texas, Martha Kate (laughs) believes in God. Uh, she's just not sure about which one. Is everything God or the trees God or the stars God? Is the force, this universal force out there, this oneness out there, is that God? Am I God? Now, the, the I am God part is a cult. The uh, God is everywhere is what experts call pantheism. Uh, is God an impersonal force out there? Those are Eastern religions. Is God Allah, that's Islam, Uh, Is God Roman Catholic, Protestant, Eastern Orthodox? So I, I hit Google, and I was just trying to do a little bit of research on all this. This is what Google said about all these things. When you believe you are God, that's called delusion. When you know you are not God, but you make others believe you are God or a son of God or a messenger of God, then it's known as religion. When you make others believe that you are an expert or authority of religion, that's called a brilliant business model. Martha Kate doesn't even know where or how to even begin with God. Can God be known, she asks, because Martha Kate believes in God. Molly Bell (laughs) knows God. She has a personal relationship with God through Jesus. She reads her Bible. She prays. She's active in church. I mean, she connects with God meaningfully in worship. She connects with others meaningfully in friendship and community. She connects with Waco meaningfully with mission and practical mercy. She loves theology. She reads everything. She takes classes on theology. She goes to Theology 101 and Theology at night. She does hospitality. She does so for friendship and for community. She does so to practically love people and care for people. And she does so to build relationships and do ministry. Molly Bell makes disciples. She disciples her husband, her children, her friends, her neighbors, other parents at her kids' schools. Molly Bell also struggles with God. With deep hurt she can't shake. With deep questions and doubts and fears, she tells no one. Molly Bell also struggles in her marriage, the lack of intimacy there. Struggles with her children. She feels like she fails as a mom all the time. She struggles with herself. She just doesn't know what her place is in life is supposed to be. Is God working, she asks. Am I missing something, she asks. I need more of you, God, she cries out. Who are you, Lord, she cries out. Is there something more? She wants to know. Because Molly Bell knows God. Who is God? god and does it matter does it matter the answer to that let's find out please stand for the hearing of god's word we're going to start with a text from the very beginning the first the bible and that's pretty much where we're going to be the rest of the morning so this is where it all starts. Genesis 3:24. do you see it? It says, he, that's God, drove out the man. Now, who is this man? This man is Adam, he's the first human being. This is what you need to know. He's being driven out because he just did something which was called the first sin, the original sin. And what that sin did is it wrecked every single human being down to this day of February 22nd at what, 1030 in Waco, Texas. Every human relationship with God has been shattered every individual has been shattered, every relationship, home, community, institution, city, state, country has been shattered by what just happened where he was driven out, he drove out the man. Now, here we go, and he drove him out, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim with a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree to life. So, just a quick question, just a Prep us for the end of the sermon. How are you going to get back into the garden? What do you have to go through to get back into the garden? Exodus now. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side. It's Literally, it's on the other side. He's like, if there's a desert, there's a desert. But if there's a desert in the desert, this is where he's at. So he's on the west side of the wilderness that came and came to Horab, the mountain of God. This is insider information, so those that are reading it know that, oh, it's that mountain, it's Mount Sinai. But at this point, nobody knows what this mountain is, okay? So it's just insider information. He's wandering around in what's called the Era Valley. It's two miles long, and it's a half a mile wide. So those of you that run track, that's an 880 or two laps, Okay? And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I'll turn aside to see this great sight. The better translation is strange sight. I'll turn aside to see this strange sight. Why the bush is not burned. Now, when the Lord saw that he turned aside, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take off your sandals. Off your feet, for the place in which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. Today we'd say oppressors. I know their sufferings. And I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land. That's the first time land is mentioned. To a good and broad land. That's the second time. Notice the broad. Remember last week? Wide open places. A land. This is a third time. So what land is this? This is the land that was promised to a dude named Abraham 600 years earlier. This is the land he's talking about. This land is flowing, literally oozing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. He said, but I will be with you, and this will be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God in this mountain. There's a little confusion among scholars over what God's sign here is. Um, If we just kind of stick with the simplest reading, I think we hear it. Here it is. He's basically saying, here's the sign, Moses. I'm going to do it. Here's the sign. You're going to be back here. You're going to make it. I'm going to achieve it. I'm going to work it. I'm going to finish it. That's your sign. Exodus 13, then Moses said to God, if I have come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, they're going to ask, well, what is his name? And so what am I going to tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to this people of Israel, the Lord, your God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. And this is just a kind of of a last thing, just to kind of get a little more punch to this. Now we're at Pharaoh, and Pharaoh hears about this God And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. O Lord, we ask that you would fill us with your spirit. Even now, would you give clarity to the mind, realness to the heart. O Jesus, may we experience you right now with the Bible, with your word, by faith. We pray this in your name, amen. So who is God? <laughs> Does it matter? Does it matter who God is? Now, don't miss this. We're just gonna make, state the obvious, but we're gonna say it. Who God is impacts every single person in the story. Every single person person. Let's just start with the obvious. Let's start with Moses. Is Moses impacted by who God is? Those of us that have just read this story, of course he is. Well, what about Moses' wife, Zipporah? If you continue to read, she's greatly impacted. What about Moses' children? What about about his wife's father, Jethro? Is he impacted? Well, at the minimum, he's going to lose a good employee. But as we read further, we find out he actually goes with Moses on this perilous mission. And then there's all these people called Israelites that are enslaved in Egypt. Are they impacted by who God is? And then what about the world superpower of the day, Egypt? Those taskmasters, oppressors. What about the military? We're going to read about a military that ventures into a sea, the greatest military in the world. And what about this This country's religion, its beliefs, its ideologies, its institutions, its culture, its economy, its politics. What about its firstborn sons? And then what about Pharaoh? Is he impacted by who God is? The text isn't done with us yet because it mentions these Sounds like upper respiratory diseases, right? But what about all the people and what about all the places and what about all the families and communities and homes and cultures and institutions and religions of the land? Verse 8, the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites. Everywhere you turn in this text, who God is matters. Who is God? Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I'll turn aside to see this strange sight. Who is God? A strange sight, a flaming fire. Burning bushes happen all the time in the desert. But a burning bush that's not burning, well, that's new. That's strange. The book of Exodus actually begins with a flaming fire in a bush, and guess what? It ends with a flaming fire on a mountain. It's like the book of Exodus is all about a flaming fire. It's like the book of Exodus is coming to you and me, and it's saying, who is God? I'm going to tell you who He's God. He's a flaming fire. Then if you fast forward to the New Testament, there's another book in the Bible in the New Testament called the book of Hebrews, and it's an Exodus-like book. And it even states it, it just flat out says it. Our God is a consuming fire. Who is God? The Bible says a flaming fire. But then what there's another question, right? (laughs) Okay, great. That that solves it. Well, what's a flaming fire? And this is where things can get a little weird. And this is where you can get lost. I've read all kinds of explanations, interpretations, ideas, uh, descriptions, doctrines, theologies, personal thoughts, feelings, and experiences of God as a flaming fire because it's my job to. I do that kind of reading. I take one for the team. You're welcome. I've heard everything from actual stuff in the Bible to stuff... That Buzz Lightyear would say, or a Marvel comic. Creepy, weird stuff. What does flaming fire actually mean, though? What does it mean? Well, the best way forward is to do what? I mean, if you're gonna figure this out, what are you gonna do? You're gonna jump over to different places of the Bible and find your proof text? Are you gonna tap into someone's experience of a flaming fire in their life or some dream they had of a flaming fire? Or you start reflecting on your experience of fire around the campsite and singing. Uh, What do you do? Well, the best thing to do is always stick close to the text. So let's stick close to the text. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush. Moses, Moses. And he said to them, here I am. And he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. This is the first time holy shows up in the Bible. That's a big deal. So Moses sees the strange sight. But stranger things are just beginning, right? He sees a burning bush. Happens all the time. A burning bush not burning. That's new. That's strange. A burning bush not burning and now speaking. Past the smelling salts or a new pair of underwear. I just connected. (laughs) I just connected. But apparently, Moses doesn't pass out or need new underwear. He simply says, Hey, man, I'm here. Now, by the time verse 5 happens, if you have your Bibles open or your electronic devices, by the time verse 5 happens, it's clear Moses does not know with any. Clarity in his mind and any realness into his heart, the meaning of flaming fire. If Moses was asked, right here, right now, Moses, right now, right before verse 5, here, right now, Moses, hey, Moses, who is God? He might answer like Mary Jane, there is no God. He might answer like Martha Kate, which God? Can God be known? He might answer like Molly Bell and give the Westminster Shorter Catechism answer that we just read. God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, unchangeable in his being. Wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, truth. He might. But it's clear he doesn't have a clue who the flaming fire is. How do we know? We know because of verse 5. Because verse 5 literally says, if you look at verse 5, this is what it literally says. From the original language. Then he, the Lord said, stop coming near as you are now doing. Stop. Moses, don't take another step. Moses, you're standing on holy ground. Moses, I'm blazing holiness. I mean, what is that? There's all kinds of things that can be said about that. First thing that can be said about holiness is that it's this whole other thing. You can't find any comparison, so we say incomparable. Words like different, other, transcendent, infinite, I mean, we just go on and on and on in all the theologies. And then this holiness, this incomparableness, this otherness, this differentness is actually just perfect in all that he is and who he is, everywhere he is, he's all him, And so words like justice and righteousness and and moral purity and like what is real and what's good and what's love and what's life and what's healthy and what's out there that's incredible, it all comes from him. And so in verse four, it says that Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. Of course he was. And of course he did. Sometimes it happens when you really mess up. You do something you never thought you could do. You become someone you never thought you could become. You hurt someone you never thought you could hurt like that. Blazing holiness. Sometimes it happens when you realize, man... I just don't do sin. I'm in sin. Oh wretched man that I am. I'm a body of death. Nothing good lives within me. That isn't my sinful nature, nothing. I'm a sinner. Lord, have mercy on me, not a sinner, the sinner. Blazing holiness. Sometimes it happens when you long to be loved. I got this from my wife because this is how she became a believer. Sometimes it happens when you long to be loved and you realize, I don't love others the way I want them to love me. Blazing holiness. Sometimes it happens when you accuse others and you judge others and you condemn others and you cancel others and you silent others and you withhold relationship from others and then you realize, I do the exact same thing. And you realize this way of thinking is So destructive and so harmful and so dumb and so hypocritical. Blazing holiness. So is blazing holiness what happens when you become a Christian? Yes, definitely. It's part of the package. So is Moses becoming a Christian here? I don't know. I really don't know, which leads to my second question, which we need to hear, which is blazing holiness what what Christians experience? Absolutely, yes, definitely. If you were to take a Christian, let's say a Christian was a wire, and you were to say, what does a Christian look like? And you cut the wire. There'd be two colored wires within the wire. And now you pick your colors. I don't care because I don't want to get in trouble. So you cut the wire, and you got two wires in there. One wire. One wire is the saint wire, the gospel wire, The other wire is the sinner wire, the law wire, the blazing holiness wire. Christians are simultaneously at the same time saint and sinner. This is why the first thesis of Martin Luther's infamous, famous 95 theses goes like this. Our Lord and Master Jesus Christ, when he said repent, He willed that the whole life of believers would be repentance. This is why we confess our sins every Sunday, right? It's not because we're just trying to cover something just in case we did it. We confess it every Sunday because we know we did. Because we know what we're like. And this is reality. This is spiritual sanity. True repentance is being honest about you being a sinner as a Christian, even as you're a saint in Christ. So I need to say this. I don't want to, but I need to. Many models of the Christian life today not only ignore being simultaneously a saint and sinner, which is absolutely devastating, Absolutely irrational, absolutely insane, absolutely guaranteed to lead you into spiritual depression and wreck your relationships and wreck your kids. Wreck the culture. Wreck a school because you're on a campaign. Wreck a culture because you're on a movement. We build whole systems, doctrines, theologies, discipleship manuals, movements, social action of the Christian life in such a way in which we try to live above the sinner. As if there's a higher place to be as a Christian, as if you're not simultaneously both, but you somehow can activate, tap into, or live in a higher plane. And how do you know this kind of stuff is happening? You know it's happening because these models always have an A-team and a B-team. They always have the enlightened and the unenlightened. They always have the socially just and the socially unjust. They always have the holy, the victorious, and they always have the unholy and the losers. Who is God? Blazing holiness. Then the Lord said, I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. The cry of the people of Israel has come to me. This does not mean that they're crying to the Lord because Israel never cried out to the Lord. This just means that they are so miserable in their slavery, their oppression, and the reality of what's going on. They're crying either verbally or non-verbally. Just on their beds, to their spouses, to their kids, out in the fields, all alone, to nobody, to the bird, to their dog. And God hears. I have seen this. Later, these exact words, these are said to, this is what God says to Moses. Moses. Now, I'm just going to fast forward. We're going to go now on the journey. That's what's said to Moses. Just put a time out on that, parentheses. Now we're going to go. We're on the journey. We're on the mission. And Moses is now before the people, the leaders, and he says these exact same words to them. I want you to hear the impact these words have on those that hear it. And then we're going to compare it with Moses' reaction, okay? So here's the people of Israel hearing these words, these good words for the first time. Watch what happens. And the people believed And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. Moses, this is too good to be true. God sees me. He sees us. He visited us? But poor Moses, right? If God had only stopped at that part when he was telling Moses, but God continued, and, Moses, and he went on to say, listen, I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them out, right? But then he keeps going in verse 10, come now, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Come, Moses, you will be my savior, And Moses freaks out. Five times, to be exact. I counted. Five times. Not once. Not one freak out. Everybody's allowed one freak out. Two. It's like, okay, you probably need to start calming down. Three, four, five. Moses freaks out five times. And this is when God reaches Moses in his freak out. This is when God reaches Moses with the deepest waters of his very being. This is when God goes up to Moses and says, Moses, I am going to show you exactly who I am. Moses, in the midst of your freak out, I am going to unveil, reveal, unpack Pour into you the wonder of who I am. And so what happens is, is God ends up answering all Moses' questions with who he is. Isn't that amazing? Moses freaks out. This is who I am. I'm freaking out over here, God. This is who I am. What about up here, God? This is who I am. How about over here, God? This is who I am. I know you're not. This is who I am. This is who I am, Moses. This is who I am. This is what I'm like. This is your God. And right now, God is telling anyone that will listen in this room who He is. Right now, He's going to tell you His personal name. This personal name is going to be spelled, if you want to know it in your Old Testament, it's going to be spelled with capital letters L O R D. That's how it's going to be translated. When God speaks it, as it's recorded in Exodus, it's gonna be literally I am. It's just gonna be a verb, to be. And that's why everybody, oh, you wanna see what people say about that? Have at it, I'm done, I've had enough. But God just says it's a to be verb, I am. So it's this present, active, personal presence. I am, right? But who is this I am? That's the key, but this is the I am, that's what's recorded, that's what God says. In the rest of the Bible, this is God's personal name. This is his personal name. And the rest of the Bible, it's spelled L-O-R-D, capital. When it gets into the New Testament, it's lowercase, capital L, lowercase O-R-D, Lord and Christ. Same thing. It's used of Jesus. It's only and always used. It's only and always used his personal name for sinners. not just doing sin, I'm in it. It's those that feel the heat of blazing holiness. It's always an only use for the enslaved. Those that know they're in it, those that know there's a dark power within. Those that know the world is in such a place, it's in it. It's not that we dance around it and some of us go in it, some of us don't. No, we're all in it. Bible's clear on that. Remember what happened at the very first sin, driven out. We're in it. Every culture's in it. Every demographic, every person. This word is only and always used for the weak, those in need, those that know in their bones, oh man, I'm unable. It's impossible. Remember how The disciples said, it's impossible, Jesus. It's for them. But I'm so weak, I'm so unable, I can't do it. It's for you. I'm feeling the heat of blazing holiness. It's for you. It's for the nothings. It's for those that know they're nothing. They know they're empty and they're full of holes. It's for you. It's for the suffering, those in misery, those that are distressed, discouraged, downcast, in pain. It's for you. Moses says, I can't do this. And God says, you're not. I am. And Moses, he's still freaking out. But no one believes I can do this. And God says, you're right. I am. I am with you, Moses. I am for you, Moses. I am grace, Moses. That's who I am. Who is God? He's the great I am, of course. I am grace. I am mercy. For messed up people like us. So, years later, there's a better Moses, right? This better Moses shows up and he's sent by God to save you and save me, right? And he saves us from a deeper slavery called the sin, and a deeper suffering of condemnation and death and all the many little deaths in life. And a more diabolical Pharaoh, his name is Satan and all the demonic forces in this world's realm. But remember, how is he going to do it? How is he going to save us? What's the only way back to the garden? You have to pass through the flaming sword. You have to pass through blazing holiness. And this better Moses, when he is sent... He doesn't say, I can't do this. No one will believe that I'm able to do this. He says, here, here I am. And he's leaning, leaning at the rope, leaning at the gate, just wanting to get out. Just let me go. Send me. And that's why John records these stunning words that Jesus says. He couldn't get over them. I guarantee you John couldn't get over them because he repeats it over and over again. He repeats Jesus saying this over and over again. Jesus says to them after he talks to him, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. I am grace. So who is this God? He's certainly a blazing fire. But his most personal name, the deepest waters of his character and his being for you, is he's a mighty fortress, a mighty fortress of grace for messed up people like us. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you that this is who you are and that you tell us who you are. And Lord, this does matter. It matters. Gosh, down to our cellular structure, it matters. And so, Lord, would you, as you did to all that encountered, specifically, Lord, we're we're looking for the kind of response that the Israelites had. Would you help us believe like that? And would we bow our heads in sheer joy, delight, rest, electricity, energy, strength, Hope, forgiveness, justification, freedom, deliverance, love, joy, peace, patience.